great God has been to us over the years, her and I, but, but even further than that, she has her testimony that goes back further with her family about how God intervened in their lives and how she became a Christian as a young girl and then how I became a Christian as a young boy because of what God did. God did a miracle in our family. And it's because of the church, the churches that were in those days that were reaching out. Hers was the Salvation Army Church. And the Salvation Army Church, by the way, when I was growing up, I thought the Salvation Army was just a place you go to the store. They have a store, the as-is store, you buy stuff. I didn't know it was actually church, you know. I just didn't know, I was ignorant. But the church reached out to her family and blessed them and helped them and got around them and they didn't have a lot of money. And, and, but, but man, they had a lot of people that loved them and helped to support them and got them in the house of God. And then um, my growing up was a little bit different than that, but I come from a real heathen background, <laughs> praise God. And some of y'all got the same stories I have. And my folks weren't serving God, didn't know God, didn't know God. And, um, and uh, they, uh, I was seven years old and, um, and God got a hold of my family. It's an interesting thing because, um, you know, they were getting a divorce at the time. And um, so my dad had moved out of the house. And so at seven years old, you know, when you're young, my, my sister was six, um, you know, you're trying to f just grasp with your mind what's going on and you really can't. And, um, and so they were very young, very, very, very young parents at the same time. So they were trying to just get their act together. And um, so it was quits for them, for their marriage. And, and um, there, was a, there was a man that worked with my dad at Roadway Express. My dad was a truck driver and worked, worked with him. And, and he was a born-again, spirit-filled believer and loved God with all his heart. Older to him by maybe 10, 12 years, something like that. And he made it his mission. Now, at the time, my dad didn't know that, but now we know. He made it his mission to witness to my dad until my dad was gonna get saved. So he prayed for my dad every single day and, and he wanted him to get saved so bad. My dad was about 25, 26 years of age at the time. And he was just in the world, 100%, didn't know God. He was an alcoholic and um, he cussed like a truck driver because <laughs> he was one. And he didn't, you know, he just didn't know anything else, no other kind of life. And so uh, this man would come to my dad time to time. Finally, my dad got so mad at him, he cussed him out and said, listen to me. I don't want to hear it no more. Take that stuff and blankety blank with it. I don't want to hear this no more. He said, when I'm ready to serve God, I'll let you know. But until then, I, I, I don't want to hear it. So <clears throat> I'm sure this hurt him, but he backed down from doing it. His name is Lloyd. And Lloyd backed down from doing it. And um, he continued, though, that, to ask him, would you come to church this Sunday? Would you come to church this Sunday? And uh, my dad didn't get on him about that. He said, no, I'm not going to be able to do that. won't be able to do that. No, I can't go to Sunday. And um, <clears throat> finally, the day came. Well, my, my, my dad's life was broken apart. The woman he loved, and, and they were being separated, torn apart, and anger and issues and stuff like that, his family. And, and so it's interesting how people plant all these seeds and think that it doesn't really matter, even gets cussed out. The things that that doesn't really matter, but it does matter. It makes a huge, huge impact in people's lives. And so he said, um, he came to my dad. He thought, man, I don't want to do this. He's going to cuss me out. But he said, I'm going to ask him to come. He said, Jerry, would you mind coming to church with me this Sunday? And he said, my dad said, yes, I'll come. 
Now, he was shocked, of course, and my dad was waiting for him to come to ask him because he wanted to come to church because he thought, I can't put my life back together. Maybe this God can help me put my life back together again. And so he called my mom. Granted, they were separated. Called and said, would you and the kids like to join me at church this Sunday? And she said, yes, we'll do that. So we, I remember, I remember that getting ready for church. We never went to church, so we were ready for church and, and uh, going there and meeting my dad. And we walked in, and and uh, it was a little little church in Rockford, Illinois, called South Main Baptist Church. And uh, we walked in there. People loved loved the Lord, big smiles, the whole. Day. I remember, I remember the whole thing. And so we sat toward the middle, the back, and um, and they gave an altar call. This preacher gave us uh, Pastor Jerry. Gave, his name was Jerry as well, gave, gave an altar call and my dad got up on a seat and answered the altar call and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And that, that week, that week was the most tremendous week because I watched my dad pour all the alcohol out. He had a bar, all of it poured out. He was invited to come back into the house. Um, I'd never seen him ever again drink one drop. And the cussing stopped, everything. It was just like God got a hold of his life. Well, that was in one week. I knew God was real. The following week, uh, my dad had, had decided to get baptized the next week. The next week, we, had, we went to church. I'm just a kid. I'm seven years old. I'm minding my own business. But how many know God loves little children? And he's got a plan for kids. And I'm in this church, and I'll never forget it. We're sitting in the same spot we were sitting and the pastor call, had an altar call, and it was long. Nobody raised their hand. And he said, I just know there's somebody. I just know there's somebody out there today that wants to receive. I just know there's somebody. And finally, I, I remember feeling this guilt and shame and, like, heaviness. And as I was feeling it, I was being convicted by the Spirit. As I was feeling it, he said, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will come and he'll convict you. And you might feel bad about what you're going through, but this God can lift that burden. I'm thinking, that's exactly what I'm going through. I want Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I want this burden to be lifted off of me. And so, unbeknownst to my parents, I didn't even raise my hand. I just got up and walked right down the aisle and came and did exactly what my dad did the week before. And they, I remember they turned me down, Rich, right where you're, they turned me around right where you're at, Rich, and made that my altar. And I'm crying, and I'm crying, and I'm crying. And my, he called my dad and mom down. They came down, and then I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And that night, me and my dad were baptized in water together at a Sunday night service at a church called South Main Baptist in Rockford, Illinois. It's now called, it's now called Pelly Road Baptist. They changed the name of the street. Pelly Road Baptist now. But it's still there thriving. Pastor Jerry's still there. He's an older man, but he's still doing it. We love each other. We, we talk to each other sometimes. But I, I said all that to let you know, I believe in the church. The power. Y'all didn't clap loud enough, hard enough good enough I believe in the church because my family was saved in the church and I had no idea one day he called me to be a pastor I didn't want to do that many know my story I ran away from God for a long time I didn't want anything to do with God because I did not want to get called to Africa hallelujah I knew that's where God was going to put me somewhere in Africa or India Calcutta or something like that and I did not want to go I had no idea he'd put me here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but I'll tell you this, I'm so grateful to God for a man named Lloyd who went to a little church that taught and said, now go out and bring people to the house of God and we'll get them saved. I love that. Father, 
Today we honor you in this place. We love you with all of our hearts, Lord. Let the conviction power of the Holy Ghost once again come upon us, Lord, until we're not the same again, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, bless these words. Anoint them now, I pray. Everybody said amen. amen. Let's give the Lord a shout of victory in the house. Isn't he wonderful? Come on. How many of you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Let me see your hand. You believe that the Bible is the word of God. To not only listen to it, but also to read it, but then also to obey what God says in it. Amen? Because if it is in fact the word of God, the word of God, the inspired word of God, then it needs to be obeyed. Listen to, read, yes, learn. I love the fact that we're doing this discipleship stuff. This is going to be so awesome. Our, by the way, God said at the beginning of this year, discipleship is going to be a part of what we do. So get ready. We're going to have more and more classes coming up. And, and some will be online and some will be in person. But I'm excited about that because we believe around here that the Bible is the word of God. It's the inspired word of God. And so with that said, then we're going to go through some scriptures in a little bit here uh, that I believe will bear out to you the importance of what we're talking about today. Let me make this statement. <clears throat> the church is the consciousness of God in society. If the church becomes irrelevant, the world will never know who God is and the world will never know what God thinks about them. The church is that force in the earth, the consciousness of God to let people know what God thinks about the world and what God thinks about them. That's why I believe, to be honest with you, that we are seeing a lack of respect and honor toward one another in society today because the state of the church has become more and more irrelevant. And the thing is, becoming relevant doesn't mean smoke machines and lights and having a certain look that you have and appeal to the world. Because we see that works for a minute, but it doesn't work long term. That never built a church. It never will. Not against some methods, but I'm just saying a method is never the word of God. A method is never the Holy Spirit. It can never take the place of the Holy Spirit. Here's the litmus test of what, of, of your, your, let me put it this way. Here's the litmus test of your, um, I didn't have, there's something I messed up here, at, Relevance to God. So in other words, to know what your relevance to God is plans on earth. This is the litmus test. Are you desiring to be more of a part of the church or more separate from the church? Are you desiring to be more? Are you desiring to be more with what God's doing in his program or more what you want to do in your program? Let me make this statement. We can't blame the world for what we're unwilling to fix by the spirit of God. I said we can't blame the world for what we're unwilling to fix. We've got children blaming parents. We got parents blaming children. We got neighbors blaming neighbors. We got church members blaming pastors and pastors blaming church members. Where is the bold remnant church today? Where is the Elijah spirit to stand up like Elijah did and take responsibility and say, it won't rain on the earth until I say it. He had the power and the authority to open and to close the heavens. And I came by to tell somebody this morning, stop your complaining and start walking in the authority that God gave you to problem solve and to fix the problem. Somebody say yeah! We see these complaining Christians. I call them the self-righteous social media malcontents. They love complaining about what the church isn't doing, 
what the church is doing, but don't have the guts or the moral courage to take the risk and engage with the local church to see effective change in their city. I'm tired of watching a bunch of Monday morning quarterbacks tell the pastor how to run the church when they themselves don't even serve in ministry capacity anywhere. You don't find them in church, but they love to tell you how to run one. Your least, everybody say least. Your least ministry duty should be being faithful to the house of God. Your least. Not talking about just moving in your purpose and destiny and, and, and all that and prophesying and that's all good, laying hands upon the sick and that's all good and, and making sure that you are, are a great soldier of Jesus Christ and that's wonderful or making sure that you're out there uh, providing for the great commission and, and winning the loss and all that's great. But the very least you should be is faithful to the house of God. Church, we need some courage in this day and age. And I'm telling you, we're going to need it more and more as these days come about because I believe God's doing something in the earth, but it won't be without a price. And sometimes it comes through price of persecution and even suffering that people have to go through to pay a price so that the next group of people or generation can walk through to the other side. Somebody lays down their life to become a bridge so they can pass from one place to the next. Or somebody lays down their life and stands in the gap. You know what a person that stands in the gap was? Was a gap, they call them gap standers, were soldiers that were, that were taught to train how to stand in an opening in a wall. We can't let you just come because the whole idea was the enemy if they could put a hole and pierce the wall it was easy for them to come in and then take over the city but a gap standard would stand in the gap and say you gotta go through me first and they would line up soldiers and if he lost his life another soldier would stand in the gap and watch this. After some time, what happened? Now they got people to back up where they're, where they're at and they come into that and take a stance. And watch this. They, they, they push away the enemy so the enemy begins to give up in the day of battle. But I'm here to tell you, God's looking for some courageous people that got some guts and boldness that will stand in the gap. I might not see it, but my children will see the promises of God. Come on! There was a man by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Have you heard of him? Bonhoeffer, most haven't heard of him, and I don't blame you for that because he would be obscure to you, but uh, he's a, it's a part of our Christian heritage. We need to learn about people like this. He was a German pastor and uh, in the 30s and the 20s and 30s. He was a very young man. And uh, he, had, he, he was a theologian, a very uh, gifted theologian in apologetics. And, and he was an amazing uh, man of God. And he was German. And, um, of course, the Germans had lost wars and they had been so overwhelmed by so much and poverty and all this. And so a man named Hitler says, I can change this. I can turn the tide for you. And so you have to remember, Hitler coming up was not a bad guy yet. Hitler coming up was hope. It was all about hope. So the Nazi regime he was raising up wasn't something that people were actually rejecting. By and large, people loved the fact that there was a Nazi regime, be, regime being raised up by a man named Hitler to help the German people regain. And so he would tell them things, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're this, that, the other. Nothing wrong in that in and of itself. 
but we didn't know the evil that this man was capable of at that time. Neither did the German people. So we don't blame the German people for what happened because they were brainwashed along the way. Here a little, there a little. Just begin to happen. And so the cost became greater and greater, but they were willing for that cost because they wanted to, they wanted to have the regain, gain of wealth uh, in their, their economy and, and just self-worth and so on. And so he did that for them. But there were some pastors, by the name, one by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and this man was a man of God who started seeing the writing on the wall through the propaganda and said, wait a second, he's always telling us how bad the Jewish people are. Every next regime wants to always say somebody's bad. There's a group of people that's not good. And that we need to begin to get rid of them. Now, it wasn't like get rid of them at first, but he began to read between the lines how history began to bear it out. And so he began to speak out against the Nazi regime. He began to speak out so much that it made national news in, the, in that time frame in Germany. And so what he did, the Nazis came and collected him, took him right out of his pulpit, right from his church, his family, and everything else. And they arrested him in April of 1943. He was in prison for a year and a half, and then he was sent to a concentration camp. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. And then, folks, in April 1945, they tried him in some kangaroo court, and they hung him by his neck. This man did not make it out alive. He, was, he would not make it out alive, but I will tell you this, he never recanted, nor did he ever back down what he said about the Nazis and what they're, they're the great whore. And now in the Christendom and faith, we see him as an ultimate hero. But this man had to have courage and strength and a boldness and a backbone unlike anything else, knowing that he's facing the gallows. It would not recant what he said whatsoever, but stuck with it and became a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I saw a picture of him. You can look up on uh, Wikipedia. I, I want you to go over to Wikipedia. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And you'll see the picture that shows of him. Him smoking a cigarette. It's his pastor who's given his life for Jesus. And he's smoking a cigarette. And I thought, how many modern Christians would judge this man? He ain't no Christian. Yet you can't even get up because you're too sleepy to come to church. And he's willing to lay down his life. Smoke your cigarette, bro. Heck, if I was facing the gallows, I might take up smoking too. It's not like I need my health. <laughs> We've got to invade the culture of the world with the culture of the kingdom. And the word culture here is awesome. It means the beliefs, the customs, the arts, the philosophy of a particular society that has its own ways of life and expresses its own way of thinking, behaving, or working. Think of it that way. The kingdom of God has a culture. The kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach and expresses the beliefs, the customs, the philosophy of God as king. His kingdom also expresses its own way of thinking, behaving, and working. So when we got born again, we unhooked from the world's kingdom or the world's system. And we, we, we now we are moved into, we've been translated by says into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God has its own beliefs, its own culture. And I see too many Christians that are trying to pull the culture of the world into the culture of the kingdom. And it will not work. Now, sometimes when you're ignorant and you don't know better, you drag it in because you just didn't know. But after a while, you will grow up and you'll say, oh, God, you don't like this that I do this. 
Why are we emulating what the world does? The darkness, the deeds, uh, the things that they say, the things that they, they um, express. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with a little bit of, um, you live in the world, but we're not of the world. But when you start noticing that all your talk is always worldly, it's always seductive, it's always, it's all, and then by the way, when I mean seductive, I'm not talking about sex, seducing spirit that seduces you, that's always a, a, a manipulative thing behind it. I'm telling you, you cannot have both worlds. It's a choice. And the church becomes, the church becomes the moral compass for people to make a decision. Is it the kingdom of the world that I want or is it the kingdom of God that I want? It doesn't mean we're exempt from the same problems. We all have the same issues in the world, but it's how we go through those problems and how we get over those problems. Amen. And by the way, this is true of every kingdom. America has a culture. China has a culture. Russia has a culture. India has a culture. The southern states, you go down south, it has a culture. Amen. Everybody's, hey, y'all. They're all laid back. And it's a little faster up north, right? Different culture. Um, uh, Milwaukee east side has a culture versus the Milwaukee south side. The Milwaukee north side. The, the suburbs, the west side. Everywhere you go, it's like you, walk, you, you feel the the atmosphere begin to change because of a certain what? A belief system, a certain a custom, philosophy, a way of thinking or behaving or working. So the kingdom of God has that exact same expression. Romans 14, but, but does it differently? Does it the kingdom way? Romans 14, 17. Well, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteous peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So right away we see a, a, a difference. So why am I telling you this? Because the world says, and I'm not getting, on, listen, if you're living together, I'm, I don't even know who you are, so I, don't, I, I, don't, I do that on purpose so the prophetic can flow. But, but if you're living together as man and wife, but you're not man and wife, you're not, you haven't done, you haven't actually gotten married to where there's witnesses that are there, um, I, I will say that getting married is, is, is higher than the piece of paper you receive. So we don't, I don't argue with it about that. People say, this is a piece of paper. I agree. It is. A piece of paper don't make me be faithful to my bride. Got quiet. Got a lot of people in here not living the way they should. But what I am saying, what I am saying to you is this, is that you, I understand, you were ignorant. You're, the culture of the world says it's okay. But the culture of God, his kingdom says it's not Okay. So we have to make a decision. How are we going to live? Am I here to please man and myself? Or am I here to please the almighty God? It's a decision that I make. So someone said, well, what do you do? Uh, first thing you do is stop having sex, praise God. Because the Bible forbids it. You can't do that anymore. Can't have sex and be a Christian at the same time. Amen, y'all. Don't be ribbing somebody next to you. Don't be doing that, praise God. I told you. Now, I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but maybe some conviction is good for you right now because I've met people that they're living together and they couldn't get out of their lease and they didn't have nowhere to go, but they were honest with each other and lived in separate rooms and made, got a date and didn't have sex from that moment to the day they got married. They're doing the best they can. They're working with what they got. God honors that. So I brought that up not to pick on it, but to give you an idea. The world just accepts that. It just accepts that. So he says, kingdom of God is not for eating and drinking, but it's for righteous peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Notice there is a fundamental difference between the culture of the kingdom of the world and the culture of the kingdom of God, 
right? So the culture of the kingdom of the world deals with the natural experiences, what I can eat, what I can ingest, you know, what does good for me in the natural, right? Um, but then it says with the natural experiences, but with, while the, the culture of the kingdom of God deals with something different. It deals with having a spiritual experience in life. Let me qualify the statement. The kingdom of God is God's method of operation. It's God's way of doing and being right. It's God's, and you can't get all this in one city. Go back over, it's free. Go online and listen to this again. And it's God's way of doing and being right. It's God's exchange system from heaven, which is spiritual, to earth, which is natural. So God uses the kingdom of God to transfer what is something spiritual in heaven to give us on earth. There's no need of money in heaven, so there's no money in heaven, but we need it here. So our prayers are spiritual, right? To give us a natural request, it goes through the kingdom or operates through the culture and the beliefs and the principles of the kingdom of God. The church is where the kingdom of God is expressed in the world that we live in. And listen, in the world of the kingdom of God, let me just start this first. In the kingdom of the world, let's put it this way, if you lose your job, we can say it this way, the kingdom of God says, my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In the kingdom of the world, they say you have cancer and there's nothing we can do for you. The kingdom of God says, don't worry, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. I'd rather be in that kingdom for some reason. In the kingdom of the world, you feel total abandonment and loneliness at times. In the kingdom of God, Jesus promised never to leave you or forsake you. And by the way, that's another reason why Jesus established his church, so that he will, that we will never be alone or rejected. That's the kingdom way. When you come into the kingdom, never again will you feel lonely again, because even when everybody else rejects you, you have him. He's with you. He's with you. I feel so strong to say that today. He's with you. And he won't forsake you, which means he won't reject you. You said, well, I've been bad all week, Pastor. I know you've been bad all week. We've all been bad all week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We've all done things that we wish we wouldn't have done, and we've done things that we wish we could take back. Thank God for the blood of Jesus to cover us, the mercy of God to be extended to us, the grace of God to well up on the inside of us, and the promise of God that says, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You're my child now. You belong to me. I have a covenant with you. Unless you reject me, I'll never reject you. Everybody say, kingdom come. kingdom come. Yeah, Jesus said, he taught when he prayed, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is and always will be a reigning king over every kingdom, its affairs, and its citizens. Always. Today we have a democracy, so we have a president, not really a king, of course, but, but we, we, have, we, we can see how that authority operates. We got it from England. England has, uh, has a, um, um, uh, what's it called, um, a monarchy, right? So we have, a, we have the democracy, we have a monarchy, which is ruled by a king or a queen or whatever. It's that kind of a thing, right? But then you have a theocracy, and a theocracy is where God rules, God is the one who's in charge. You know, God always wanted to be in charge of man. He never wanted to have a king over man ever, not ever. But because they, they, they wanted one, he would supply them a king, but that's never been God's best. Theo just simply means God, theocracy, theology. The, the study of God is what that means. So when you take a look again at Matthew 16, where Jesus, um, uh, he comes forth and he says, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not given you this revelation, but my father who is in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. So he gets a revelation of who Christ is in that moment. He becomes a rock. Upon that foundation, that rock, he said, I'll build my church. Jesus is building his church. Now he says the word church, y'all, and some of you know the study, but some of you do not know the study. Uh, some of you watching online, you may not know this at all. Church has never been, well, I shouldn't say never been, it never was a religious term. Did you know that? It was not religious. It was political. Church was a political term. So Jesus used a political church not to politicize it, but for understanding. So people get an idea what he actually, I'm going to build my church. What is he building? Well, it's going to look like a church. And the, that day they knew what that meant. And that word uh, church is the Greek word ecclesia, ecclesia. And it just simply means the called out ones. And they were called out with the idea, well, I'm going to call you out, uh, the church, I'm going to call the church together. So the politicians said, let's gather the church. The church were the citizens of that city. You and I, are the Bible says, are the citizens of heaven. Right? So Jesus is bringing the correlation together. He says, now bring them out and bring them together. So now they're all in their individual houses, but he's saying the church, of my church would be like that church, we're going to come together. No more of this, all of us doing our own thing, but everybody's going to come together. And then he said, I'll call them out to where? The gates of the city. They understood this. The politicians used the gates of the city where the marketplace was because it was the open square. It's where people could get together, gather together, and hear from the politicians to know what they did last year, what they're doing this year, and what they're doing the following year to come. That's how they got their vision from their leaders. He said, this is going to be like that. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to call you out of your individualism. I'm going to bring you all together as one, and you're going to hear from me at the gates of the city. And he said, if you'll come out, of the called out ones, if you'll come out, nothing will stop you, even the gates of hell, right at the, because he said, we're gonna, have, we're gonna have our meetings right at the gates of hell. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I kinda like that. You're gonna have our meetings, we're gonna have our meetings right at the gates of hell. Why? Because when we, go, we leave these doors, we're going right out into that community where hell is trying to, to get our children and our families and bring them there. Right? So Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church. Whose church? His church. Are you a part of his church? Not the kind of, yeah, I go once a year. Come on. You got to do better than that. But are you there to gain information on a weekly basis when the doors are open to say, I'm a part of his church. He can't build what you're not a part of. It's hard to build something if all the pieces are not there. That's where we get this from Ephesians, or rather Hebrews chapter 10, 35. He said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. He says, the more you see my coming, the more you see me coming, even more, I want you to begin to gather together or assemble yourselves together. It's hard for Jesus to build the church or put the pieces together if the pieces aren't there. How many ever tried to put together a bike for one of your children and you got so frustrated because their pieces weren't there? 
Now you got to go back and try to figure out what it is that you need because somebody must have had it before you and they put it all back in the box or whatever. And so now you cannot assemble, you cannot assemble the, you can't assemble the bike right. Everybody say assembly required. So for us to become a mature man, the Bible says, or to be what God's called us to be, he's got to assemble us together. But if we make decisions not to come together, the missing parts are not there, therefore he cannot assemble us. This completely throws out the idea of all I need is Jesus. Just me and Jesus. I don't need no church. I don't need no other people. It's me and Jesus. Well, I'm glad you got a relationship with Jesus. That's wonderful. But you'll never, ever know the full capacity of who you really are until you do it God's way, not your way. Amen. It also throws out the idea of going to church here and there. Going to church once in a while. When I feel like it. When I'm ready. How long do you think a marriage would last if it were a here or there once in a while when I'm ready, when I get around to a kind of marriage? The truth is, if, if, if you thought like that, then, then you cannot be counted on. Who can count on you? Who could count on a spouse that you didn't know from day to day if they're going to show up and be in your bed at night or somebody else's bed across town? Man, I'm preaching good today. Hallelujah. One man said years ago, I forget who it was, it was a... Uh, it might have been Edward Lewis Cole, it could be, I don't remember, but he made, he made a statement, you are nobody until you can be counted on. You might think you're somebody, but until somebody else can actually count on you, you're really nobody. Everybody say responsibility. God refers to us many times as pieces of the whole and not the whole itself. First Peter 2, verse Four says, coming to him as the living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up in spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he who believes on him will no means be put to shame. He's saying, you are a stone. So I need my living stones. I can't build the house without my living stones. I don't build the house on one stone. I'm the chief cornerstone. I'll be the foundation, but I need my other stones to come together so we can build ourselves, erect ourselves a house that people can come to. Somebody say amen. This house is here because people collected themselves, came together, got their pennies and dollars together and sacrificed and built a house in Milwaukee so other people can come the generation later. We're already another generation, already. I'm looking at all your children. Your children are growing up, praise God. Our church has gotten much older, by the way. What happened to us? Hallelujah. We used to be the church of like the 20-somethings. That's, that was our church. And their pastor was like early 30s. So that's just the, that's the way it was. We had a young church. And now all of a sudden we got older people, which praise God, we need the wisdom of the, wisdom of the older. We need everything. But we have a great, we have a great uh, span of different age groups. But my point that I'm making to you is this. Thank God that they heard the call to come together to build God a house. Amen. Jesus is the foundation. Uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. He gave himself apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So I'm here as one of those fivefold ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist. I'm one of those to what? To edify the body, build up the body, right? So that we all become a mature man, 
woman, person, to measure the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's why we're going to discipleship programs now. I want you in these classes. I need you in these classes. Uh, we don't make a dime out of these classes. We're, we're actually putting out a lot of effort to do it for you. So it's just for you um, to learn and to grow because why? A lot of deception is in the earth and a lot more is coming and if you don't have the word of God inside you, you might not be able to tell the difference between what is good and evil. The Bible says even the elect in the last days will be deceived if possible. So we're going to arm ourselves with the word of God so that we will not be children tossed around like a wave of the sea between one doctrine to the next, right? He said, watch this, that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. What is he saying? I need the body to come together. I need my church family to come together. To what? To the place where every joint supplies. Everything's being knit together. What's that doing? That's bringing health. According to what? The effective working by which every part does its share. Oh, Jesus, I could preach right there for a while. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, somebody. Every part does its share. So God has a responsibility for everybody to say yes to. I'm called to preach the gospel. Well, okay, cool. Can we get you started first in helping us clean the bathrooms and maybe sweeping the lobby? That would be awesome. We need help there. I'm a preacher. Not yet you're not, praise God. God want to test you. You want to make sure what you, you, you see what you're made of first, praise God. And whatever you're willing to say yes to, don't think that God doesn't see that in heaven. Everything he sees. And I'm not saying this to brag about it because I don't have much to brag about, but I will say this because everything I am is because God just, he graced me to do it. That's all I can say. But I will tell you this, my wife and I, one of the secrets that we didn't know was a secret until later in life was we never turned down a ministry somebody gave us. If it was something we were supposed to that wanted done, we got it done. If something we saw that there was a hole, a gap that needed to be filled, we filled that gap. Now, we didn't do it forever, maybe, but for a season until we could raise somebody else up to do it. Right? We just said yes to God. I didn't know by doing that I was preparing myself. God was testing me to see her as well as what we were called to be. Every effective working by which every part does its share. When the body begins to do its share, right, does what? It causes growth of the body. Now, why do we want the church to grow? So we can say we got a big church? Come on, guys. If that's all we're shooting for, I should have quit a long, long time ago, praise God. Because the way he has me preach, every week people don't come back, praise God. They don't like what I got to say because I say what the word says. And it gets to them sometimes. Maybe I'm not going to blame myself. I'm a good preacher, so I don't know why they didn't come back. God's word is what brought them. Yeah, it was God's problem, not mine. <laughs> no, but my point is, my point is, it's because um, I have people, by the way, say, I love your church, but they don't come back. Conviction. Conviction. It's hard for them to sit under that. They don't want to change. But I, I will tell you this. Oh, my, I got in pride, and now I don't remember what I was going to say. Praise God. What was it, where was I going with that? Nobody. We got, what, 300 people here. Not one person knows what we said. Uh, huh? Yeah. I did say that. That's not where I was going. Um, anyways, so we were meant to connect. We were meant to assemble. We were meant to belong. Not, not, not meant to do life like the world or with the world, but as the family of God. We have a new family called the family of God. God made us interdependent. 
We've got to learn to care one for another. That's what the church was designed to do, to care one for another. I am my brother's keeper. So going back, when we were saying yes to the ministry needs, we were saying, I am my brother's keeper. I will do that. I'll take care of that. We'll get it done to the best of my ability. You got to think of like the, the fact that we teach our children this in the children's ministry, but we got to learn it ourselves as adults. We had to become the good Samaritan to where a man was beaten up and left for dead and stripped of his clothes and money and bruised and battered left in a ditch. And a priest goes by and sees him and gets scared of him and walks on the other side of the road. Levite comes by. He has, there's help coming, but they don't want to help the man. He's too busy. He walks on this side. But the Bible says the, the Samaritan man saw him, had compassion for him and thought, my God, this could be me. And decides, I'll help him. Binds up his wounds, washes them out with oil and, and wine, puts them on his own horse, takes them into the city, gets two denarii out to pay for the, the, his, his hotel bill. He says, here, this should be enough to pay for the hotel room. I'm, I'm a businessman. I'll be back in about a week. When I come back, if there's more he put on the bill, I'll take care of that too. Wow. I don't think I've ever done something like that. Praise God. I mean, I pay for somebody. For, maybe I've been a good Samaritan at, at Starbucks. Praise God. I pay for a coffee or two. Hey, take care of the guy behind me. I put that on my credit card right there. That, that's okay. But I mean, paying for somebody that even if they kind of took advantage of it a little bit and they they got HBO or whatever they get. <laughs> That's 1975. Um, and took it and, and, and got the snack bar with the snack bar and got more food on your bill. And they knew it was your bill. I might get a little bit mad about that. But this man said, I'll take care of that. Because he saw himself in that man. And he recognized the law of sowing and reaping. If I sow into his life, if I should ever find myself like that man, I will be taken care of as well. We are our brother's keepers. Somebody say Amen. The bottom line is we need each other. Jesus is the son of God. He walked as a man on earth, but he was the son of God. And um, he was in, in just dire straits, knowing that he's going to the cross, having the last supper with the boys, knows this is the last moment in time with them. They don't understand what's going on. He said, let's go pray. He has to pray because he's got to pray this through because this is intense. He's going to the cross He's going to give his life. He's going to be separated from the Father for the first time. And he begs him, please, my friends, pray with me. Watch with me. Watch and pray. And he comes back, and they're all asleep. He even said, I'm filled with sorrow even to the point of death, but could not get his friends to pray with him even for one hour. That tells me the enemy is all and just our selfishness too is always working against us over time to do what to separate us. I don't. I'm not, I don't need to feel what he's feeling. He's going through that. I don't need to feel that. See, a lot of people don't come to church because they don't want to feel anybody else's feelings because they're thinking about, about, about themselves. It's what I want. It's what I need. I come to church to get my needs met, but that's not ours to come to church. We come to get fed and we come to give. How can I be a blessing to somebody else? And he works, the devil works on us racially too over time. Praise God. The devil has worked overtime to keep people in a place of no standards. And if I look out there in the world right now, I'm looking that they have said evil is good and good is evil. And they've turned meanings upside down and there's no standards. And the young people are killing themselves at an alarming rate. 
The last place to go, Isaiah 59, 19 says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his, his glory from the rise in the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. God always wants to place a standard. <laughs> there is a yes and there is a no with God. There's not like, I'll get back to you with God. He doesn't go, I'll get back to you on that one. You got a point. There's a standard. He expects us all to live. And that's too hard. It is not. Yes, in yourself it's hard. But when you're living by the mercy and grace of God that he gives you every single day, it's not hard. The church, I believe, is the standard of God in the earth for the world to see. I believe it should be. If it's not, it should be. We should be the ones holding that standard. And I wrote down this definition, and we're out of here. Standard, a, a rallying point, especially in time of battle. A touchstone, a means of determining what a thing should be, applies to a, a definite rule, principle, or measure established by authority. A cause to stand for and to stand up with. Identifying with what the set standard is. Standard concept defined in Unger's Bible Dictionary. Uh, standard represents God's hedge of protection. So it's not to put more rules and regulations on. It's to protect us. He knows what's coming up. God's, uh, it means this. It means God's promised presence and his aid in leading and directing his people in execution of his righteous will. Wow. I want you to take this message this week sometime. I'm not going to make you promise me, but I want you to just go over at this juncture of our lives I'm telling you we need to hear this and hear it again and go over this again this week because God wants to begin to reveal who you are because remember he sets the members in the body the church as it pleases him you don't go to the church that pleases you you go to the church that pleases him because sometimes we'll pick things that will kind of you know make us feel kind of you know fuzzy and good and that's nothing wrong look it makes me sound like I just want to make you make it bad you know that's not my heart. I loved you guys being entertained. I think it's great. I, I try to embrace a lot of things. But I'll never, ever, ever, never, 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 ever going to change what the word says. The standards that God places and puts in our lives and says this is the way you walk, walking in it. There's an expectation that he has for us to do that. And we, the church, need to raise up. Be, you know, the world is looking for people to stand up for their moral convictions and not back down. They're, look, they're, they're looking for somebody to say, God is real, and let me tell you why he is real. And they're watching our lives. We need to show them the greatest standard that we possibly can. Amen? And amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise. I'm, um, he's wonderful. I'm a little, I have way more. That's why I kind of got stuffed on myself, guys. Way more than I can I give today, which I should have known better, but I was just so excited to give it. But uh, we'll do more next week. But I, I'm here to tell you, this is a prophetic word for this hour right now. Because we're watching so many people stay home. They once used to come to church on a faithful basis, and they're not no longer, and they're not going to come back. And I can't convince them to. So I'm not trying to convince anybody. But it's not, let the word do the talking. But I do have um, a righteous moral obligation to put out what the word of God says is a standard. Assemble yourselves together even more as you see the day approaching. Not less, more. We need more of him. Let's be honest. 
let's be honest, and I'll say this again, and I'll probably get off of it for a while, but since we're on the subject here, is that we, those cameras are paid for by you, and we, the internet, we, there was thousands of dollars, everything just cost so much money. We did this because God told us that we didn't know coronavirus, didn't know anything about it. So we were set up about five, six months before it actually happened, and then it happened, thank God it was in place, because it's a tool. It's a great tool. Music is a great tool. But don't ever forget, it was also Lucifer was the head of music in heaven. So just as much as a God thing, the devil can take that same tool and make it a bad thing. So those that are watching me, you can't be here. You live a ways away. You don't have a vehicle. Uh, you don't have the means. Some of you watching, you might be in prison. I don't know. But there are many of you who call this church your church and we're here every Sunday and you're not back. I'm not trying to get you back, although I love you very much. Some of you may be in other churches. I don't know. But I talk to pastors all across America, and they're all saying the same thing. They're all, we're all saying the exact same thing. We, we made a decision. People are not going to come back because they let the camera and the, and, the, and the device or the TV screen do the work for them, and they don't have to hassle with the church anymore. I'm not telling you you have to go to church. I'm telling you you get to go to church. You get to come and be a partner with other people who can help you. But how can we help you if we don't know you or know what you're going through? So we're committing this year in discipleship. We're committing this year to getting together more because we want people to, to know each other more. And um, no excuses. Someone say amen. I see y'all at the grocery store. I see y'all at the gas station. I see y'all at work. I see y'all doing y'all stuff. And don't tell me you can't come to church. You can. And if you want to wear your mask, you wear your mask. No one will judge you here. But that's not even our deal. I don't make those things my deal. Last week, by the way, I got nothing but positive response from the, my, my little thing about vaccination. You know why I got a positive response? Because I'm not getting into the science of it. I don't know the science behind all this stuff. I don't know what works and what doesn't work. Some people are reporting that it's bad, that they're, they're getting the virus more and that there are other complications. I don't know. I look at the data, that's all I can do like you can do. I know, though, what's right and wrong. I know that nobody in this country has a right to tell me what to put in my body. And that's what we're going to stand up for. And everybody said amen to that. I do find it a little bit funny that some people have been vaccinated, want me to be vaccinated, and how dare I not be vaccinated, but I'm going, but you're already vaccinated. What do you care if I am or not? You got the vaccine. You're just mad because you had to do it or you didn't have the guts to say no or something. You don't like the fact that I said no. But I did mine for religious reasons, praise God. And a lot of people are, stand with me like that because if there's fetal, there's fetal matter tissue that is inside those vaccinations, uh, I think we all have a problem with that. Those of us that are Christians, they're believing that that's wrong. So again, I'm in the water again. Here we go. How do I get out of the water? I'm back in. Um, but what I'm saying to you is this, is that at the end of the day, we can come up with a thousand excuses why not to do what God tells us to do. But if we really want the blessing, start to do it. Amen. And amen. Praise God. We're going to give to God and offer to God his offering today. Amen. Let's be good about it. Let's be faithful about it. Let's be the church that can be counted on. Did you hear what I said? Let's be the church that can be counted on. Everybody say, I'm in. I'm in. 